Today is Wednesday, September 19, 2018, and this is another Creditors' Rights in-depth podcast of the National Creditors' Bar Association. Today's topic is cybersecurity and ensuring that you protect your business. Joining me today on our podcast are Mike Shea and Harrison Tropp of the Shea Barkley Group. Mike is the president at Shea Barkley and has been with the organization for a number of years there. Uh, He's spoken on the topics uh, related to law firm risk management uh, over the years through local and state bar associations, state trial lawyers associations, as well as has had many articles on law firm risk management published in multiple periodicals. Uh, Mike is also a graduate of Florida State University College of Business with his bachelor's degree in finance. Harrison is also uh, an advisor at the Shea Barclay Group and is also a Florida State University uh, graduate in political science. Uh, he's had extensive experience in the default services area and law firm, law firm operations, as well as audit and compliance requirements. His primary role at Shea Barclay is helping default firms with their insurance needs, particularly as they relate to compliance-mandated insurance. Harrison and Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Excellent. So um, in terms of cybersecurity and the whole issue, I know that uh, whether you're a small business or a large business, everybody uh, seems to be uh, having some form of breach. Uh, in fact, yesterday I even had my email hacked and had a, a phishing uh, expedition go out uh, under my email. So uh, e- even us small associations are <laughs> subject to it. So, But in terms of our law firms and for our listeners uh, who are members here of the organization, what are some of the, the things that you're seeing in terms of trends or just around the whole cybersecurity issue for professional services firms and law firms? You know, Mark, I think – you know, what jumps out most importantly to me is that the threat is real. Um, I, I think the evolution of cybersecurity um, and, and the risk associated with it have, have, have never been higher. Uh, you know, I, I recall in years past um, and, and meeting with IT professionals and, um, and, and having these types of discussions, there, there wasn't much fear um, so to speak, and they felt like if all the checks and balances were in place, then then you were okay. Um, had a similar meeting with a gentleman last week that I'd met, had this conversation with five years ago, and, and, and we had the same conversation last week, and in his opinion, um, he runs a large IT services firm here in, in the Tampa area, and his his opinion has completely changed. And so what, what we're really seeing is that nobody nobody is immune, small firm, large firm, um, any type of professional services. I mean, I think for the longest time before this product even even existed, I, I was actually sitting here with Harrison um, sort of laughing before we came on. You know, when I started in the insurance business, cyber insurance didn't even exist. And and so it's, it's a pretty unique exposure. Uh, but what we're finding, I mean, even like like you said, with, with your association, I mean, our our firm of 25 plus people, um, we're, we're, we're dealing with hackers every day. And so what we're finding is, Nobody's immune to it. Um, I think certain certain law firms, depending on what type of area of practice you're in, are are, are a bigger target than others. Um, you know what a lot of people don't realize is, uh, you know the the value of borrow information or, or personal identifiable information, regardless of, you know whether it's good good credit information, you know good borrowers, bad borrowers, it, it doesn't make any difference. The value of that of that data is significant. Uh, and, and I think what we're seeing, too, 
is the the creativity and, and the fishing and now what they're calling spear fishing um, and 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 the birth of social engineering um, and, and and the like I said the creativity and and um, of what these folks are doing now is, is really unprecedented and and it's becoming one of the biggest one of the biggest risks out there I mean I, I think that it's moving to a point to where your cybersecurity risk is ultimately going to be just as risky as, as your professional liability type risk. Well, that, as I think about that uh, and the whole issue around uh, the, the various types of um, sort of coverages that, that we utilize, uh, and I look at um, the types of things that we put in place, you know, I think many people think, well, you know, if I've got all the right uh, hardware and I've got all the right software in place that surely must be covered. Why would I need something like, you know, cyber insurance on top of all this? You know, my IT people said that, that we're pretty well set with all that. So, you know, why in this day and age do you think that it's necessary for firms to, to look at cyber coverage and to, to really have cyber coverage as part of their overall, you know, plans within the, their protection structures? That's a great question, Mark, and that's one we're often asked by our clients. They'll ask us, for instance, if I have professional liability coverage, what is the need to have this cyber coverage? And a lot of that is generational. If you have a firm with a typically older demographic, it's somewhat unknown what cyber can do. But I'll be blunt in saying that cyber insurance really protects the firm from outside remote threats that try to engage in what we call network penetration. It's really a unique policy, as Mike had mentioned, that surfaced maybe 15 years ago. And really at that time, only a single carrier was offered a cyber policy. And, and not only was there only one carrier, but the carrier that did offer it had a huge corresponding premium uh, for that policy. What we've seen over the years is, is since that time, those premiums have been drastically reduced, uh, and several carriers now offer cyber coverage. Um, so, you know, while, while your professional liability is going to cover the firm for uh, instances arising out of, you know, malpractice issues, this is a, this is a completely different animal, and, and firms really need to look at and evaluate what their coverages are, and, and need to take a hard look at acquiring cyber coverage if they don't have it today. Yeah, and and and, and the difference too with because of compliance and, and, and compliance mandated insurance. I mean, outside of the fact that now these, these firms are required to because of their clients, uh, but we're still advising every, every law firm uh, that we work with. I mean, even outside of, of the default services space uh, because everybody has an exposure. And, you know, what's really interesting about the product is when you think about the, the, the evolution or the history of, of liability insurance, whether it's professional liability or general liability, you know, those are coverages that have been around for for decades, even you know, argue you could argue centuries. Um, you know, with cybersecurity and cyber insurance, not only is it a more unique product because of it's spawned out of the evolution of technology, but it's still just changing constantly. And there's very little actuarial and historical data to to really kind of understand how to how to define the scope of coverage. Uh, the coverage components are completely different from, you know, from really any other liability insurance. Uh, you know, and again, when you when you talk about, I'll let Harrison take this one. We're talking about why it's necessary. Uh, you know, piggyback on that question mark. Why it's necessary to carry the cyber coverage? We can expand a little bit on that as well. 
I mean, we tell our clients all the time, uh, you, you've made an, obviously, uh, an investment in the firm's physical security to protect, I don't know, your employees, to protect original notes, depending on what type of law you're in. But what about borrower information uh, that's currently housed on your system? So while cyber coverage isn't technically a required coverage for traditional law firms, it does pose a, a different requirement as it relates to the creditor's rights industry. Um, so per the clients, you know, per, per the law firm's clients, most of these firms in the debt collection, foreclosure, creditor's rights as a whole have to carry some type of cyber policy. So aside from it being a mandatory uh, policy to purchase, it, it really is a wise one. Um, given the nature, as Mike has mentioned, uh, the creative threats and their frequency, uh, again, it's something that firms need to look at evaluating and, and, and looking at that cost versus what the cost of a loss could be. Um, so uh, second to that, aside from the dangers that cyber threats pose to the firm itself, there's also an added value when it comes from, from a client's perspective, and that's really the protection and the safeguarding of confidential borrower information. Uh, that's really, in my opinion, where cyber coverage comes into play. So again, while cyber coverage will protect a firm if there's a loss, there are a lot of ways that a firm can help mitigate that loss. And, and Mark, you had mentioned when we started this call about, you know, you, you received a phishing email. Yes. So, the first thing we tell our, our clients is employ at least a dual-factor authentication when making wire transfers. If you get an email from, you know, a, a C-level position and it's saying wire me X number of dollars to such and such account, check that out. Follow it up with a phone call. Figure out some type of dual method that can it can be confirmed that this is what is really being required before you just wire funds. Second to that, the obvious explanation, change passwords often. Uh, don't use the same password for all accounts. Update them often. In, in, in a lot of law firms, there is a prompt that occurs every quarter or so that, that you know mandates that employees change their passwords, and that's really a common sense uh, approach. A third option that we tell our clients is don't open or respond to suspicious correspondence. I mean, I know that sounds somewhat elementary and somewhat uh, uh, self-explanatory, but if you don't know who the sender is and you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know the content of the message, if it's asking you to do something or to click on such and such link, uh, obviously we advise not to do that. Uh, and the fourth one is keep your servers uh, either off-site or in a co-location facility. You don't want to have a, a server on site um, if, let's say, there's a, a ransomware occurrence where someone is holding your data hostage and requiring you to pay X number of dollars. Let's have that stored off site so in case your system does go down or if that data is compromised, there is a backup, uh, you know, for you to retrieve it. Yeah, and, and Mark, I'll, I'll add to, to, to Harrison's comments as well um, because obviously the default services firms and creditors' rights firms are under tremendous pressure from their clients from a security and data protection standpoint. Uh, and, 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 and as a firm, Shea Barclay, you know, we practice what we preach as well. I mean, we've, we've maintained cyber insurance for a number of years and, and have, uh, you know, what we believe to a very, very robust security measures in place. But we still are constantly running, uh, running tests in, within, our, within our employee network and internal testing and penetration testing. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have everybody uh, within the firm this week going through just a brief social engineering uh, training um, program. That uh, and so that's you know that's what we encourage. I mean, outside of just maintaining the coverage, which you may or may not be required to have, uh, you know, the coverage is, is is one way to mitigate the risk. But obviously, having all the right checks and balances in place um, 
is going to be first and foremost the, the best way to protect yourself outside of the insurance product. So, um, you know, that the, the penetration testing and, and making sure you know, that, that you as a firm are constantly doing those things on top of everything that Harrison mentioned is, is really a key component um, to, to, to at least mitigating some of the risk. I mean, it's, it's become unavoidable now. I mean, if you read some of the stats, uh, most people, once they found out, once they find out a breach has occurred, um, it's, it's the, the average is, is six months after the breach actually happened. And I don't, wow. you know, I, I don't know all the technical IT firms, but it's like they're basically like squatters. These people, you know, these these hackers will get into your system, and they start to monitor your emails, and they start to monitor your behaviors, and they basically squat what they call they squat into your into your system. And sit there for six, seven months before they actually act um, and, and try to, uh, you know, create some sort of ransomware, some sort of social engineering type of um, type of process. And then, sure. to, you know, to make a point on that, Mark, if if you do fall victim to that, and let's say you do wire funds, or you know, you do, you know, you give in to, to whatever the demand is, or or, or whatnot. Uh, Nine times out of ten, what you give out is going to be unrecoverable. So if you're going to wire funds to some account and you don't catch that in, let's say, 24 hours, uh, the chances of you actually recovering that are, are slim to none. So um, again, that's where your policy comes in, but uh, you know that's something you're never going to get back. Yeah, so for the ne- yeah, I was going to say for the neophytes uh, on the call, which uh, to a certain extent I'll even admit to being a neophyte in some of the the information relative to this. When you talk about, you know, cyber coverage and that, um, for a, a basic primer and, say, a 75,000-foot view here, what kinds of things are covered and what kinds of things might not be covered for, for somebody if they were listening to this for the first time? Sure. Uh, you know, that, that's a great question. And, and, and the, I think the, the answer is really, it's really it's really across the board, and it ranges from carrier to carrier. But I think the core coverage components that we seem that seem to be similar uh, across, you know, whether you're with XYZ carrier or ABC carrier, uh, and, and, and honestly, what we believe is is what the true value of the policy is. I mean, and again, going back to the comments I made regarding the history of cyber insurance and and, and the data and the, or lack thereof. You know, there's not a lot of case law or any case precedent precedents that we've seen yet across the country. There's a few cases pending that could change this, uh, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months that we're following. But there's not a lot of, of true negligence or liability precedent set. So uh, while that is a is a coverage component in the policy, um, wh- what we think matters the most is really when you look under the hood and see sort of the additional. Uh, insuring agreements that, that are included, and, and some of those things are are your notification costs, and and what that means is in the event of a breach, you have to, and and that varies from state to state, but we'll talk about Florida just because we're here in Florida, and um, you know the 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 governor changed the laws in 2014, to, um, the the data data protection laws in 2014, and it was the key change was prior to 2014. If you were, if you believed you had a breach, you could do an investigation with FDLE and the, and the appropriate parties. And if it was deemed that no no data was was taken or or, or printed, penetrated um, or hacked, however you want to define that, um, then you were not required to notify all the individuals uh, per the state laws within within your system. In 2014, the law changed and said 
if you have a data breach, regardless of whether information was breached or, or taken, um, you are still required by state law to notify all those individuals. So like, like most people on this call, probably in the past five years received some sort of, of letter from, more than likely from a physician office of, we, were, we had a potential breach and we're notifying you um, in the event you know, your data could have been compromised. So, so that's the coverage component. Most carriers will pick up that cost to notify all of those individuals. And if you can imagine, if you've got, you know, call it 10,000 folks on, within your system that you'd have to, to, to notify, that could be a, a significant cost. Um, sure. The, the other components are state fines and penalties, uh, you know, which that, that's, a, uh, that's a key difference from, from your typical professional liability policy. I mean, a lot of professional liability policies will, will exclude uh, you know, fines, penalties, or, you know, some sort of Rule 11 uh, sanction, things like that. Uh, but these policies will pick that up. Um, they'll pick up a ransomware or cyber extortion uh, claim or, or and, and the cost associated with that. And, and typically it also includes um, a, a component for reputation management. So when you think extreme, you know, think about Target and, and the breach and the amount of pu poor publicity they got. Uh, when you want to tie that back to law firms, some folks may have heard about this, most probably haven't. DLA Piper, um, a very large international law firm, they had a, uh, they had a ransomware attack in, their, in one of their Eastern European offices last July. I want to say it was July 1st, and as of July 9th, they, have, they, their, they were still inoperable um, as a firm. I mean, they, they could not access their systems. They were completely shut down. Um, and even as of July 31st of 2017, they had only recovered about 70% of, of their systems. Um, and so, that, granted, that's an extreme measure, but supposedly the loss to the firm there from a pure monetary loss was in excess of $50 million. So it's, uh, it, it, the threat is real. It, um, it, it's pretty interesting. But those, those coverage components are what we believe are, are really the core, core value in the policy. Excellent. So as we look at, at cyber insurance going forward, um, I think uh, you've given us a pretty good sense of how it's evolved and, and you know, where it's gotten to as of today. And uh, I know that uh, Shea Barkley has a crystal ball sitting there in their office, uh, so you should be able to uh, <laughs> take a look at it and give us some sense of where do you think it's going in the, the coming years as it's going forward based upon, you know, the prevalence of uh, cybersecurity attacks and the breaches that are going on. Where do you, where do you see it evolving uh, to going forward from here? Oh, boy. I'll let Harrison take this one, but I'll jump in real quick and say it's definitely going up. <laughs> yeah, Mark, my, my crystal ball shows that there's good news and bad news on that front. Um, the, the good news is that cyber coverage is affordable and, and has certainly declined in cost since originally being offered. Um, it, when you look at the risk associated with uh, a cyber threat or, or, a, or any type of monetary loss, the cost for a policy is relatively uh, quite nominal. The bad news is, as Mike has mentioned uh, on, on before, is we really don't know what the future will look like in terms of a threat. Uh, in the last several years, we have seen the cost for cyber coverage continue to decrease, but while that's obviously good for the firms themselves, there's really a level of uncertainty as to what future cyber threats will look like and how creative those threats become. Um, I mean, part of the issue is that we, whether, whether you, you talk to brokers, whether you talk to underwriters, um, we don't have a measurable threat to compare a real loss to. 
you know, sure, there are examples of data breaches, uh, but I'm not sure that we on our end can really fathom what a true catastrophic loss will look like and how that's going to affect premiums. So certainly it's not feasible to compare what Target went through to a, you know, 10-lawyer creditor's rights law firm. And, and to that second end, we don't have any real case study or case law or precedents to show what the end result is going to be. So there hasn't been, because there hasn't been anything along those lines, there has not been a knee-jerk reaction in rates. Um, but as the, as the creativity of threats will continue to evolve, we would expect, you know, corresponding losses uh, and, and as such, premium increases. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, uh, we're nearing towards the end of our time here. Uh, if you had a, a closing and a parting thought for uh, our listeners today on uh, cybersecurity and what folks ought to be doing, uh, what would be that thought? You know, Mark, I would say I would say to everybody, uh, really any type of business that you run, because the cybersecurity is relevant, whether you're a law firm or an insurance firm or a, an association or a nonprofit or whatever it may be, but listen to your IT professionals, develop procedures and follow them and, and stick to them and run tests to make sure people are following those procedures uh, because everybody everybody has an exposure um, and and the ramifications can, can be crippling, uh, not only to, to, to your business but to your reputation as well. Well, thank you very much, Mike and Harrison. We appreciate your time today. The NCBA Education Committee is uh, already planning on uh, doing some additional uh, both webinars and podcasts in the coming months uh, to tackle the issue on cybersecurity and uh, keep our members informed on that. Uh, and we hope to have you back uh, also uh, during one of those webinars or podcasts. Yeah, we'd love that, Mark. We appreciate you guys letting us participate, and hopefully we somebody learned something. Thank you, Mark. Or, or we scared somebody to death, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you did, uh, it'll probably be a good thing then. So yeah. thank you. Thank you both. Mark. Thank you, Mark.